Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.32 a.m. Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. Epic fail on my part. Sorry I didn't get it out sooner. It's just been a busy week. And so I apologize for making you wait a few extra days, but hopefully it's going to be worth it. This is a really good message today. Hannah was talking about something that I'm sure none of us have had to deal with before, and that is conflict. You guys don't have conflict, right? (laughs) Uh, After this, hopefully you will have some more tools on how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Because newsflash, of course, we're all going to deal with conflict. Even uh, us, like the most pure church that has ever existed. That's sarcasm in case you uh, couldn't tell. Uh, But even we have conflict. And if you don't know how to deal with it in a healthy way, it's just going to mess you up. So that's what today is about. Uh, A couple of announcements before we jump into it. Um, Huge, huge announcement. We're actually going to be moving for a couple weeks. So if you want to come visit us in person or if you normally attend the last Sunday of this month, the 30th, and probably the first Sunday of next month, the 6th, we will be meeting at the Mar which is like a block away. It could not be more convenient. Uh, Please follow us on social to get all the details on parking and the address and all that stuff. Uh, But again, we're meeting at the Mar St. Pete on the 30th of January and probably the 6th of February. The 30th, we actually had already planned to do a biography. It's a type of service that we do where we don't have any music and we just kind of give the microphone over to our people to tell stories centered on a particular subject. This one is going to be about joy. And so we're going to have, I believe, five different people come up and tell a story from their life about joy. And it's a really cool way to just get to know the people around you more. Um, It's a really cool way for people to have a chance to share. So if that's something you would be interested in doing, please let me know. Uh, But I love when we do stuff like this because it's an opportunity for us to just really get behind our people and support them. Um, They're hopping up on stage and telling a story that may or may not be difficult for them. Uh, So please, I uh, ask you if you attend regularly on Sunday, come out for that week. Uh, It means a lot to me that you're there to support them, and I'm sure it would mean a lot to them as well. Um, I think that's it. No more more real big announcements right now. That's kind of the biggest thing. Oh, um, shout out to Caleb. Uh, Caleb's uh, been around since before we even really existed. He suggested something this week that I'm giving a try. At the end of the message, if you've ever attended one of our services in person, after the message, it goes to a couple more songs, and then Hannah comes back and does a benediction, which is like kind of a cross between a blessing and a prayer. And I normally don't include that in the podcast, but today I'm trying it out. So if you like it, let me know. At the end, it's just going to jump from the end of her message to the benediction. So be on the lookout for that. Hopefully you like it. And if it goes over well, I'll do it every time. All right, let's get to Hannah. I'm very excited about today because I have the pleasure of talking to you about a subject that I'm terrible at. Um, And I'm quite sure by speaking about this, I will be given many opportunities to practice, which I'm not excited about. And I am talking about conflict. So raise your hand if you feel like you are just really good at navigating conflict. Four people. Okay, I'm not. 
Maybe. <laughs> Mike said he's good at creating conflict, and his husband was like, yes. <laughs> so um, I am what I w- would like to call conflict averse. So um, especially when any kind of aggression is involved. So like, if you want to see me back away from you or try to escape the situation or just literally shut down, just yell at me. That's all you got to do. Even if you speak sternly in my direction, like I'm, I can't handle it. <laughs> like I'm pretty much guaranteed to like panic and possibly cry <laughs> for sure. Like I cannot deal. Is anyone the same way? Like conflict makes you like, <laughs> okay. I thank you for being honest. Um, perhaps you're the other way where conflict just lights up that part of your brain, makes you feel alive. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go in on this right now. I am gonna attack this person. I, know I have been waiting. I have a bullet from days ago, from months ago. I'm gonna be like, hmm, I know what. There's a reason I don't fight with certain people, because they will win. They're gonna be like, hey, and I'm gonna be like, hey, and they're gonna be like, you're dead. <laughs> I can't top that. That was like real, that was real harsh, y'all. <laughs> So the chances are, no matter how you process conflict, however it shows up in your life, uh, it's the opposite of how your partner does, or your family, or your BFF. Uh, The person you are navigating conflict with is guaranteed to not navigate it the same way you do, which in turn gives you more conflict. Delightful. Conflict is really hard for us, and I'm not speaking just as a person who can't handle it. I think by and large, none of us have been taught the emotional regulation skills that we need in order to process a conflict successfully. And how we act when a conflict arises is usually a window directly into our childhood dysfunction. Like you did not know you were about to get a front row seat into how someone grew up, but you are. (laughs) And guess what? They're getting a front row seat to how you grew up whether yelling was allowed, not allowed, how conflict was processed, not processed, ignored. And if we, we have been sold a bill of goods, I think, especially in faith culture, if you've grown up like around the church, that says, if you are in a successful relationship, you will not have any conflicts. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Somehow we have this idea that true love or true friendship just doesn't have any bumps in the road. Well, like if you really love that person, well then you just agree on stuff or you just love them so much that it doesn't matter. That also goes hand in hand with the lie that if you have Jesus in your heart, everything in your life will be great. Which, I mean, I've had Jesus in my life since I was born. Not all great. I can only speak from personal experience. We're like, yes, everything is going to be magical. All things will be good. That's not actually what the verse says. It does not say all things will be good. It says all things work together for good and something sucks. I added that parentheses. That's my translation of the Bible. Conflict is a given. It's just going to happen. You just have to accept it. Whenever you get people together, it's guaranteed. In fact, the closer you get to people, the more of a guarantee there is that you will fight with them. Or the more you give someone access to the interweb and social media, (laughs) the more of a guarantee there will be that there will be conflict. It's not if conflict happened, it is when conflict happened. So we have to learn how to navigate it. Even though we're like, "Mm, no, this seems hard. (laughs) Well, because it is hard. (laughs) We cannot just stick our heads in the sand and then be shocked when a conflict comes up. And we're like, I just, (laughs) 
was just living my life, living my best life, okay? And then this person was being, oh, I cannot believe, okay? Like if I opened my phone this morning, I checked the weather app, which I did, and it told me it was gonna be 81 today, and I was very upset, <sighs> January. But if it was like, hey, newsflash, hurricane coming tomorrow. And then I was like, eh, that would not be wise, right? I wrote this and then I realized if you're from up north, that may seem like a legitimate example to you. But if you've been here, like I have for most of my life, like I don't take hurricanes seriously unless they're like cat three or above. So maybe not a good example, but there's also something in the Bible about this, about the wise person who built their house on the bedrock, right? And then the dum-dum who built the high rise on the beach. And then the wind came and it huffed and puffed and blew his high rise down. And he was like, what, why? <laughs> I can't imagine why my tower fell down because he didn't have it on the bedrock. That's my paraphrase of the Bible. <laughs> we have to prepare ourselves. It's like, we're, we're saying we're not even preparing for the thing we know is coming. It could be coming later today. It could be coming a week from now. Wouldn't you like to have some tools for when it happens so you're not like, <gasps> The second it arises, how do we do it? Stick around and I'll tell you right after these messages. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, it says, this is Paul writing, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another person, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. My work here is done, right? No explanation needed. You just take those verses and you're like, got it. No, I feel like we need some explanation because we're 2,000 years later. But also I feel like the people who got this letter would be like, okay, mm thank you, Paul, for writing us this delightful letter. Also, I don't know how to do that. What do you mean clothe myself with compassion and humility? I like, the I like the clothing metaphor. But if we're supposed to put on clothing of humility and kindness and compassion and meekness and patience, what clothing are we taking off? Okay, so metaphorically, please keep your clothes on. <laughs> if you read back in verse 8, which is before what I read, it says, we take off our old self, which is full of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language. Now, I think most of us have been taught that anger is bad. Anger is not bad. Anger is our body's way of telling us that something is wrong, or boundaries being violated, or it's the bodyguard for sadness, or grief, or loss that we don't want to deal with. The problem is not anger. The problem is what we do with it, or what it turns into. So does your anger turn into wrath? Uncontrolled rage. Are you like raging? Does your anger turn into malice? The desire to do harm to someone, like actual do something against them. Does it turn into slander? Do you start gossiping, saying horrible things about people? Does it turn into abusive language? Do we just like attack other people with our words? You cannot just squeeze a t-shirt of compassion from Baby Gap on top of your puffer coat of rage and call it a day. That is not how this works, okay? We have to take off the layers of our old clothing, metaphorically, so that we can put on clothes that actually 
are better and more beautiful and more comfortable. We're talking about a change in our condition, but it's not just something weird and like mysterious that happens on the inside. It is a change in the values and the behaviors that we choose to drape over ourselves. Paul really likes the clothing metaphor because I think our clothes say a lot about us, right? How we want to be presented to the world, what our value system is. We have to be concerned with the way our souls are dressed because guess what? Everybody's going to see it eventually. You could be like the most sparkly, perfect person on the outside. And then, have any of you ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, that's who they are? Or perhaps you've been in that situation with yourself when you're like, mm, I did, mm, that's who I am. That hurts worse, I think. It would be a mistake to read those scripture verses as like a first century call to civility. Like Paul just being like, okay, now y'all be nice. No. Paul is not saying fake it till you make it. Paul is not saying you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Although that is a very strange statement. First of all, do you want to catch flies? <laughs> also, what are you going to do with the flies when you catch them? Murder them? I would if they were in my house. We don't think, I don't think we want to view each other as flies. Okay. <laughs> that was a tangent. <laughs> Putting on the clothing of compassion and humility and kindness is more than just a way to get through life that will make people like you more. This is heavy work. This is like spiritual and emotional high-intensity interval training. <laughs> Being with each other, forgiving each other, this is not work for the faint of heart. This is hard emotional labor. Forget about putting on a happy face and accentuating the positives. Conflict avoidance, my specialty, is not what we are being told to do. This is about how we act when emotional fights break out. And our common experience, I think, is that our most rage-inducing, frustrating occurrences that cause us to be like, like, mm. I, I never, like, it takes a lot to make me mad, although I have been a bit ragey since Nova was born. <laughs> I should say since I got pregnant. <laughs> and like, it's a new experience. I kind of like it. <laughs> but we're like, the, the things that make us like that the most are the people we are closest with. Our partners, our family members, our friends, our spiritual community, our kids. Ugh. <laughs> when we know people really well, or we have some kind of preconceived notion of who they are, how they should act, right? Ooh, does... <laughs> It's going to get hard. Rarely is our anger and our impulse to attack someone or wish like revenge on someone as strong as when we get into a conflict with someone we love. What is conflict? It's difference plus tension. Difference plus tension. We can disagree with each other all day long and it not be a problem. I disagree with all kinds of people all the time. Is it a problem? Not usually. But inevitably, we go make it personal. We start attacking each other. We escalate our differences of opinion or culture or values to like astronomical levels. And we think that we are the savior of the world and that we have to change people's opinions. And in philosophy, this is actually a, a philo philosophical fallacy called ad hominem. It means attacking the person. It means 
instead of discussing the actual subject or the argument, you go in on that person. So for example, if I'm like, hey, this restaurant down the street is really good. And you're like, no, that restaurant sucks. And I'm like, well, I had a great experience. And you're like, well, you have bad taste. <laughs> that is attacking the person. <laughs> okay, here's another example. Someone says something about you and you're like, I don't need to respond because I see no need to defend myself against a bunch of stupid people. You're attacking the people. Or someone set, presents an idea and you're like, what a stupid idea because it was written by a bunch of fascists anyway. Like, like we just immediately were like, oh, we're just going to discount the person or the whole group of people. We don't want to talk about the argument because then we might have to actually produce some evidence or think. Um, we're just like, no, we're just not even going to talk about that at all. Just attack you. And if we attack the person instead of the subject matter, we are guaranteed to just be adding more attention to the situation and be completely unable to have any kind of reasonable adult discussion. We are all adults in here. I don't see any children. That sucks sometimes, because it means, guess what? We get to act like adults. We get to be the controllers of our own bodies and minds and emotions. And honestly, sometimes the tension comes from inside of us. Not what's going on. Like Sometimes I don't think people truly, usually mean to upset or hurt us. Like for the most part, I think people have fairly good intentions, but we are love insecure people and we are super touchy, super touchy, especially if it's someone puts their finger on a nerve, you know, like during holidays, if your mother-in-law like makes a comment about the cleanliness of your house. <laughs> Mine didn't, in case you're watching. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Here's a personal example. Uh, when Nova was little, like three months old, my mom made this offhand comment about how we should have another kid someday. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to happen. I said, we probably weren't going to have another one, which we totally might. Who knows? But at the time, I was very convinced that was it. <laughs> and she said, oh, I'll be really sad if you don't have another kid. And I was like, <laughs> like instantly. And when, I mean, I was very tired. I hadn't slept in a long time. And I was a little ragey because of the hormones. And by little, I mean a lot. I went off, not nicely, okay? And it, I should not have. I should not have. And it took me a few days to like unpack why it bothered me so much and then another whole day to like work up the nerve to apologize because it was not because she said she would be sad if I didn't have another baby. She's allowed to have feelings, just like we all are. It's because inside of me, I felt out of control and overwhelmed. Like the comment, it'll be sad <laughs> if we had another kid. Like, that just brought up like a million things for me that my mom did not mean. It made me feel like a bad mom because I couldn't put my own needs aside enough to give Nova a person to play with for her whole life and someone to love. And she's just going to be stuck with me and my husband. It's just going to be terrible. Okay, like I'm depriving her of something. It made me mad because not because a boundary was being crossed, but because I felt like no one believed me about how hard it was. And I already gotten a few comments from delightful, well-meaning people about how I would change my mind eventually. Whether or not I would change my mind was not the point. 
okay? The point was, I was drowning. (laughs) The point was, I woke up every morning and literally my first thought was, I cannot do this. Like, I cried every day. Sometimes multiple times a day. The idea of having another child was so overwhelming because I wasn't surviving the one I had. And everyone told me, well-meaning people, remember, ask for help. <laughs> everyone, just remember, you just remember to ask for help. I'm like, I, no one's coming over to hold the baby. So who am I supposed to be asking? <laughs> like, and of course, I yelled at the one person who was helping me. Who came, my mom came over every weekend for the first five months of her life. Like, I literally wouldn't have survived without her. And she was the person I yelled at. Um, everyone told me, you know, just don't worry about the house cooking and the cleaning because that will all keep, but babies grow so fast. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Except that I was living on a diet of like protein bars and graham crackers. <laughs> and also the laundry did have to be done every single day because Nova produced oceans of spit up. <laughs> like we went through multiple outfit changes a day. Everyone was like, don't you worry, it gets easier. Thank you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I was working 40 hours a week at a law firm while carrying around a three-month-old baby with no childcare. She went to work with me every day, which she hated. She once screamed so loudly there that you heard her through two walls. (sighs) And I wasn't sleeping, and I was trying to get everything done, right? And I was still trying to think of something coherent to say on like a Sunday morning here. Um, and at the time it didn't feel like easier would ever happen or was even possible. And all of that, that was all in me when my mom was like, Hmm, would be sad if you didn't have another kid. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I had to come back down to earth. I had to regulate myself, which like I said, took a day or two. And then I had to apologize and repair the situation and explain why I was so upset. And when I did, my mom was horrified. She was like, my God, I would never want to make you feel like, because of course she didn't want to make me feel like that. Then my mama, (laughs) right? It was me. She didn't mean any of that. It was what was inside of me that came out. And sometimes the tension is inside of us. And I know, especially in like, especially if you are recovering from a trauma or abuse or some kind of situation in church or with a family member where your needs were not taken seriously, we tend to go hard on other people. And I'm not saying that's not wrong. It's fine. But also, we have a responsibility to deal with our stuff, okay? Just because someone says something does not mean you get to be offended. We have a responsibility to do the work of healing so that we don't start blaming everyone else for making comments when they maybe didn't mean it like that at all. Just working up the resolve to say, I'm sorry, no matter what you are disagreeing about or how right you feel you still are. Just working up the resolve to say, I'm sorry. That will often take more energy than the entire fight you had before. Because, you know, when you were fighting before, you had adrenaline. You had, oh, you had like, though you were right. It was like now or never, you were just going to get 
give you my opinion, okay? And then later, your brain is like, well, maybe you should check yourself because you done wrecked yourself already. And then you're like, oh, no, I don't have any adrenaline. I only have, I feel like a bad person. <laughs> we live in a culture that like faintly praises kindness and humility and meekness, right? But these qualities are not usually present in history makers. They're held up as ideals for personal etiquette. Just be nice to each other but they're ignored, mostly, by real-life decision-makers, right? What do we prize in people that have power and control? Being tough and strong and a real go-getter and a person who doesn't take no for an answer. Reconciliation, repairing, is not the suppression of conflict any more than peace is the absence of violence. Ditching the conversation and like cutting the lights, pretending it doesn't exist. This is apostasy. Apostasy is a church word, a theological word. It means denying or abandoning your religion or core belief. If we are not willing to exist in a conflict and work through conflict, we are actually denying the holy, beautiful process of transformation that God is trying to do in our lives. We have to transform our conflict thinking. We have to remember, first of all, that conflict is a given. It's not, it's not if, it's when. The thing that makes conflict so explosive is fear. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. You can like Google, there's like a million pages of verses about fear. But here's a question to ask yourself next time you feel that, ten like there's a difference and then you feel that tension creeping up. What are you afraid of? What are you so afraid of? What are you really afraid of? And you do not need to be a saint or a rocket scientist or Jesus himself to develop the skills to handle conflict. Like every person, every person can learn to move through the dynamics of conflict and practice habits of grace-filled response. The traditional responses are like, you know, fight and flight and freeze. But clearly there's a third option and it's the one Paul is advocating here. It's the one Jesus portrayed. And it's that conflict is actually an opportunity to deepen relationships. Think of your, like, the people you love most in the world. Chances are it has not always been smooth sailing for you. Practicing moving through conflict in nonviolent ways in our own families and in our own faith communities that is the best training ground we have for the work of reconciliation in the world. It's not just a nuisance to be managed or a situation to be handled so that we can get back to happy. How we deal with conflict is part of our spiritual formation. How we deal with forgiveness is part of our spiritual formation. And it's not simple or easy. Doesn't mean forgive and forget. It doesn't mean we let abusers get away with the harm that they're doing. It doesn't mean we absolve people from experiencing the natural consequences of their behavior. Our ability to forgive people is based on our lived experience of being forgiven and affirmed and accepted and celebrated by God. That's where it comes from. And it's gonna feel tricky. We don't have the muscle memory. <laughs> Anything new feels tricky for a while. You don't have the neural pathways in your brain for this to feel like second nature. 
but we can practice. Practice leads to habits. Our muscle memory slowly forms, like inch by inch and step by step. And our words and our actions slowly become more like Jesus, which is what we're trying to do, right? Otherwise, what's the point? Are we just getting together here to like be friends? I do like y'all. Is that it? We're trying to be more like Jesus. We are trying to follow the example of someone who forgives and loves and accepts and doesn't get walked over, but chooses a path that is nonviolent and accepting and affirming. Slowly, we get to learn compassion. And what's compassion? It's that deep, inward feeling of care toward another person. It's the foundation for all the other things. Kindness, humility, generosity, patience. I'm not, you won't, I'm not preaching on patience. I don't want opportunities to practice that. <laughs> the next time you are about to get into a conflict with someone or when someone's like pushing your buttons, I need you to remember this crucial question. Stop and ask this question. What is the most generous interpretation of this person's behavior? What is the most generous interpretation of this person's behavior? If you're face-to-face -face with them, look them in the eye. What's your most generous interpretation? Do you think they're really trying to hurt you? Probably not. And even if they are trying to hurt you, what is your most generous interpretation of that? Are they afraid of something? Are they speaking from a place of unresolved pain and trauma, like we often do? Are they exhausted or hungry or tired or overstimulated? Are they getting loud because it feels like no one is hearing them? If we stop and breathe and ask ourselves, what is the most generous interpretation of this behavior? It will change your conflicts forever because the pause and the question and the breath, it, it gives you the, res, the space to respond, not out of anger, but out of compassion. Interpreting behavior and words generously allows us to respond kindly and humbly and patiently. You might entirely avoid a blow up. You may disarm an entire disagreement if you just see their underlying need or your own and acknowledge it. And when we respond as if we're wearing our old clothes of malice and rage and abusive language, maybe we need to turn that question on ourselves. What is the most generous interpretation of my behavior? We're not used to giving ourselves compassion. It's really easy for us to be empathetic. Maybe not really easy, but it's much easier for us to be empathetic towards other people. And then when we get to ourselves, we're like, mm, why would you do that? Can't believe you did that again. I can't believe that's the way you act. That's not. <sighs> what is the most generous interpretation of your behavior? Are you speaking from a pace, place of unresolved pain and trauma? Are you exhausted and overstimulated? Are you loud because no one's hearing you? And then we get to work up the nerve to apologize. Even if you want to brush it off and bury it and ignore it, be like, well, we're fine now, so it's fine. 
Repairing is what keeps us together. We have to, have to model what repairing looks like. Even if it makes us feel ashamed and stupid and nervous, we have to model what this looks like. I'm not good at this either. Because we didn't, there wasn't really in my, like in the way I grew up, like if you did something, you just, once it was over, it was over and you didn't talk about it anymore. You didn't go back and say sorry. So for me, saying sorry is like way harder than getting into a conflict and getting into a conflict is really hard for me. We have to raise a new generation of kids and we have to raise ourselves as adults. We have to parent ourselves who can actually repair with each other and navigate conflict. And it will feel tricky because all new things are. It will feel hard because it is hard. Not because you're doing something wrong, but every time we do it, inch by inch, apology by apology, we will build the muscle memory and it'll feel less hard. And we will build an actual community of people who can truly spread peace in the world because we can sustain it inside of ourselves. When we gather as siblings in the spirit of God, when we heal our childhood wounds, when we ask for forgiveness and seek repair, when we demand a world where we prioritize each other's safety, this is what it means to practice hope. This is to worship God. Hope is a muscle we build in community, not a wish. May the God of new beginnings bless the shaky steps we take on our road to freedom. May the God of endings honor everything that has been lost in our lives. And may the God of all that is still becoming guide us as we learn how to be with each other. Amen. Thanks for being here, y'all. Air hug. Goodbye. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.